Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. I invite you to turn with me to the Holy Scriptures, to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, as we read the verses 14 to 22. Let us hear the Holy Word of God. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, Be zealous and repent. This ends the reading of the Word of God. May the Lord bless and apply the reading and preaching of His Word to our hearts. Dear friends, we come in our study of the seven letters to the churches of Asia to the last letter, the letter to the church at Laodicea. Very little is known about this church. It was one of three churches located in the Lycus Valley, together with Colossae and Herapolis, about 100 miles east of the city of Ephesus. These churches had been founded 40 years earlier during the Apostle Paul's stay in Ephesus, probably by Paul's co-worker Epaphras, who was from Colossae. Like most of the other churches, this church was in a state of spiritual decline. The love and the zeal that this church once had for Christ and the gospel was almost gone. This church, as Christ himself says, had become lukewarm, proud, complacent, and self-sufficient. And our Lord knew this. And so in an effort to revive and reform this church, he wrote to them the letter that is recorded here in our text. There's something unique about this letter. As we've seen in most of the previous seven letters, our Lord says something positive as well as something negative. He offers on the one hand a word of commendation and on the other a word of condemnation. In fact, of two of the letters, the letters to the churches at Smyrna and Philadelphia, our Lord says only something positive. But in this letter, the letter to the church at Laodicea, he says nothing positive at all. He speaks only words of rebuke and admonishment, reminding us that sometimes there's not much or even nothing good to say about a church. The church at Laodicea was a case in point. Now with this in mind and God's help, let's consider this letter under the theme, Christ Reproves the Church at Laodicea. 
We'll consider, first of all, the condition he diagnoses, secondly, the remedy he prescribes, and thirdly, the appeal he makes. Christ's letter to the church at Laodicea begins, as do all of the seven letters, with an introduction of himself. You notice how the Lord Jesus introduces himself in this letter. First of all, he calls himself the Amen. Now, this is the only place in the Bible where the word Amen is used as a proper name. The word Amen, which is derived from a Hebrew word, literally means, so be it. It's used when a person wants to confirm the truth of something. It's like a verbal seal. And by means of this name, Jesus is declaring that what he says and what he is about to say to this church comes from the mouth of him who is the ultimate source of truth and who therefore has the last word, the amen, on every subject. Secondly, he calls himself the faithful and true witness. Now this goes beyond the significance of his title as the amen. The word faithful means trustworthy or dependable. The word true means accurate or free from error, free from deception or exaggeration. And by means of this phrase, our Lord is telling us what he is about to say is the absolute truth. And his testimony can be relied on because he is the faithful, he is the dependable, the reliable, the trustworthy witness of what he's going to say. Thirdly, he calls himself the beginning of the creation of God. In the opening sentence of John's gospel, John writes, In the beginning was the Word. John 1 verse 1. And now Jesus comes to this church and he he calls himself the beginning of the creation of God. And that word beginning here means source or origin. What Christ is saying is that he is the source. He is the origin of all life, both physical life and spiritual life. By referring to himself in this particular way, our Lord is signaling to this church that they are dead or on the verge of dying. But He offers this this title as a way of hope, as a way of escape. He calls himself the beginning of the creation of God. It's like he's saying, you are dying, but I am able to give you life. Well, after identifying himself, our Lord, like a spiritual doctor, goes on to diagnose the spiritual condition of this church. And what he says about this church is absolutely shocking, even somewhat unsettling. He summarizes their condition in verse 15. He says they were neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm. Now it's likely that Jesus here was referring to Laodicea's water supply. Unlike the neighboring town of Herapolis, which had medicinal hot springs, and its other neighboring town, Colossae, which was supplied by a cold mountain stream, the water in Laodicea was lukewarm. And the reason for this is because the city had to get its water from a source about six miles away, which was then transported to the city via a series of aqueducts. And as the water traveled from the source to the city, it warmed up under the heat of the sun, so that by the time it arrived in the city, it was lukewarm. 
Now, Jesus applies this to the church at Laodicea. He says that like their water, the church at Laodicea was neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm. Now, what does this mean exactly? Well, the words cold and hot refer to degrees of spiritual usefulness. Cold is a metaphor for refreshment. We are refreshing when we encourage, when we come to the aid of, when we help or assist a brother or sister in Christ. Hot is a metaphor for soothing or healing. We can be soothing and medicinally healing when we offer comfort or even a loving rebuke or admonishment to a brother or sister in Christ. And so the Lord Jesus here declares that he wishes that the church at Laodicea was one or the other, that either it was refreshing like the cold waters of Colossae or soothing and medicinal like the waters at Herapolis. But sadly, they were neither. Rather than being cold or hot, they were lukewarm. And lukewarm is neither refreshing nor soothing. It's essentially useless, good for nothing. What is more, it is not pleasant to the taste. Nothing is more unpleasant than eating or drinking something that is lukewarm. We like things that are hot or cold, but not lukewarm. When something we eat or drink is lukewarm, our natural instinct is to spit it out. And our Lord says that's exactly what he will do to the church at Laodicea if they don't change. He will vomit them. He will spew them out of his mouth. That's very strong language. Now this raises the question, why were the Laodiceans so lukewarm? Probably because they were very wealthy. They were so wealthy, in fact, that the history books record that when the city was virtually destroyed by an earthquake in 60 AD, its citizens refused offers of assistance from the Roman Senate, choosing instead to rebuild the city themselves. Now, most likely, the members of the church were also very wealthy, and as a result, they became complacent, proud, and self-reliant. We know that because our Lord in verse 17 quotes them as saying, I am rich and have need of nothing. But they were sadly wrong. For in the same verse, he says they were actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And then we see how easily we can deceive ourselves about our spiritual condition before God. We can so easily think that all is well with us when in fact it is not well. We can so easily think that God is pleased with us when in fact he is not pleased. We can so easily think that we are living and acting like Christians when we're not living and acting like Christians. Some can even think that they are believers when in fact they are not. And like the church at Laodicea, they think that they are rich when in fact they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Well, let me ask you today, what is your spiritual condition before the Lord? Are you lukewarm? Do you think, like the Laodiceans, that you are rich and have need of nothing? 
even though you are living with one foot in the world and the other foot in the church, even though you rarely spend time in communion with God, even though you're not forsaking sin and not striving after holiness, even though God is not the first in your life and in your heart? Oh, if so, then I must tell you today, you are sadly mistaken. You are not rich at all. You are instead wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And as long as you remain in that condition, my friend, you are not ready for eternity. You are not fit for heaven. For heaven is a place for those who know themselves to be what they are by nature, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Well, are you such a person today? If so, then listen carefully. For the Lord goes on to prescribe a remedy for this condition. And that brings us to our second point. Our Lord was deeply concerned for the church at Laodicea. That's why he not only told them what was wrong with them, he also told them how they can get better. He not only diagnosed their condition, he also prescribed the remedy. And what was the remedy? Well, in a word, the remedy was himself. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Notice how the Lord says, I counsel you. The word here actually means advise. The Lord is advising us. And we're reminded here how gracious he is. He doesn't demand that we come to him. He counsels, he advises, he woos us. He's like the bridegroom in the Song of Solomon who stands at the door of the bedchamber and knocks on the door and says, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. The bridegroom didn't force his way into the bedchamber. Instead, he knocked and he called and he waited patiently for his wife to open to him. And so it is here as well. The Lord counsels, the Lord advises his people. What does he counsel them to do? Three things. First of all, he says, buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Now, as we've seen, the believers in the church at Laodicea thought they were rich, and they were, at least materially. But spiritually, they were very poor, as Jesus himself said. And now our Lord comes to them, and he invites them to buy from him real riches, Gold that has been refined in the fire. By that he means gold that is free from all impurity. Now our Lord is not to be taken literally here. He's not offering them real gold. He's he's speaking figuratively. The gold of which he speaks here is a metaphor for the benefits of his salvation. The forgiveness of sins, the adoption of sons, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the gift of everlasting life. These benefits are far better than the gold of this world. For the gold of this world does not last, nor can it meet our greatest need. Only His gold can do that. And so He urges them to buy from Him this gold. Secondly, he counsels them to buy from him white garments 
that the shame of their nakedness may not be revealed. Now, Laodicea was known the world over for its fine black textiles. These textiles were made from the wool of the many black sheep that roamed the hills of the Lycus River Valley where the city was located. But rather than counsel them to buy black clothing, the Lord Jesus counsels them to buy white clothing, representing the righteousness of himself, the righteousness that he earned by keeping the law of God all the time that he lived on this earth. Thirdly, he counsels them to buy from him eye salve that they might see. Laodicea was also known for its eye salve, which was reputed to cure a whole host of common eye ailments. And here the Lord Jesus counsels his people to buy from him a superior eye salve, one which will cure not just physical blindness, but especially spiritual blindness. You see what the Lord is doing here. He's portraying himself as a merchant man, peddling his wares in the marketplace. But unlike many salesmen today, the Lord Jesus only sells what we really need and what only he can provide. Gold to make them rich, garments to cover their nakedness, and salve to cure their blindness. And that's why he urges them, do not buy that which the world offers you. Whatever the world offers you cannot help you. It's like he's saying, only I can help you. Therefore, come to me. Buy from me. Every year, the stores set aside the last Friday in November as a special sales day. We call it Black Friday. And on this day, hundreds of thousands of people barge through the entrance to stores waiting to get the best deals on items that they really want to buy. Some even camp out overnight or even several nights in a row to be the first in line. Well, today is also a kind of Black Friday, isn't it? In fact, every time the gospel is preached, it's a Black Friday. For in the preaching of the gospel, Christ invites sinners to come and buy from Him. Only He doesn't require any money, no credit card, no cash, whatever we want. He provides free of charge. Oh, how will you respond to that gracious invitation? If I told you that on Black Friday, a certain dealership in town is giving away a free car to the first person at the door, would you not go there? Would you not even be prepared to spend several days and nights there just so that you could get that new car? Well, here the Lord Jesus is offering you something far more valuable than a new car. He offers all the blessings of his salvation. A new car will get smashed up, will eventually decay and rust, but not the treasure that Christ presents. All of his blessings will endure to an everlasting eternity, and they will satisfy the soul. And since that is so, will you not come to him today? Will you not receive from him what he is so willing to bestow. I'm reminded here of the words of Isaiah 55, the first three verses where the Lord, posing as a merchant man, cries, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good 
and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. Well, our Lord says essentially the same thing in our text, doesn't he? He urges those who thirst to come to him, to buy wine and milk from him that they might drink. And he assures them that it is all free. It costs them nothing. It can be theirs without money and without price. But what do men do? They spend their money on that which is not bread and their wages on that which does not and cannot satisfy. Oh, how foolish, how blind, and how ignorant men are. For only foolish, blind, and ignorant men would spend their money on that which is not bread, and their wages on that which does not satisfy, when there's an abundance of soothing, thirst-quenching water and satisfying food available for free. Oh, does that describe any of you today? If so, my friend, come to Christ and eat and drink and be satisfied. And so Christ Jesus prescribes here a gracious remedy, but thirdly, he also makes an earnest appeal. Our text ends with this appeal. Verse 19, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Our Lord here reminds us that at times he has to rebuke and chasten his people. It's a popular conception out there that the Lord Jesus is nothing but love. Now, to be sure, he is very loving. He's very compassionate. He's very merciful. But there are times when he also rebukes and chastens, as he does here in our text. And he has to do that because many times we sin against him. We go our own way and we do our own thing. And when we do, he must, as a good shepherd, correct us. He must bring us back to the path that he has laid out for us, as he does here in this letter. And at times he does this by inviting us, pleading with us, but at other times he rebukes and he chastens. But you notice he never does this out of anger, but only out of love. Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. It was because he loved this church at Laodicea that our Lord rebuked and chastened them. And isn't that true also for us? Parents, why do you at times rebuke and chasten your children? Is it not because you love them? If you didn't love your children, you would let them do whatever they wanted. But you don't. Why not? Because you, don't, you know that that's not good for them. And because you love them. And you know that allowing them to do whatever they want, they'll become monsters. Children need to be trained and disciplined and rebuked and chastened. And that's also the case with believers. It was precisely because the Lord loved this church at Laodicea that he rebuked and chastened them. And that means, beloved, we should never despise the chastening of the Lord either in providence or in the preaching of the word. Because it's by chastening that the Lord demonstrates his love for us. In Hebrews 12, verse 5, the writer to the Hebrews reminds his readers of Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. We read these words, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So when we are rebuked and chastened by the Lord, 
as we are in this letter, and we accept that, and we change as a result of that, that's a sign that we are the children of God. Uh, But maybe you say, if we're not to despise the chastening of the Lord, how then are we to respond to it? Well, very simple, we are to repent. That's what Jesus says, verse 19. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Now, what does that mean to repent? The word repent here literally means to have a change of mind. So Jesus here is urging the Laodiceans to change their mind. About what? Well, about how they've been living. They were complacent. They were self-satisfied. They were self-reliant. And Jesus comes to them and he says, don't be like that. Change your mind about yourselves. Realize who and what you are, wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. As long as you keep thinking so positively about yourself, it will not go well with you. Jesus says, I will vomit you. I will spew you out of my mouth. Now that message also goes out to us. My friend, are you lukewarm today? Jesus says, be zealous and repent. Be zealous means don't just think about it. Don't just resolve to do it. Don't just wish that it could happen, but do it and do it now. Do it with zeal. Don't let anyone or anything stand in your way. Make every effort to repent. Let this be your number one priority. Repent before it is too late. And he will receive you. He will make you wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked in yourself, but fabulously rich in him. For he will bestow on you all the blessings of his salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and everlasting life. And when you stand before him, there will be no more lukewarmness. There will be nothing that will prompt him to want to vomit you out of his mouth. Rather, he will savor you, and he will delight in you as a glass of cold water on a hot day or a hot bath for weak and tired and aching limbs, because you will be complete in him. And you will be completely whole, covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, like him in every respect. And you will live and reign with him forever. Amen. Dear friends, it's our great joy to be able to preach to you the word of God every Sunday on this station. If you were blessed by or if you have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Won't you please take the time to write us a short note? Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. And when you write, please indicate the call letters of this station. If you take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you free of charge a wonderful little booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers. In this booklet, Pastor Neil Prunk, the former radio pastor of this program, explains the so-called doctrines of grace, and we hope that it may be a rich blessing to you and yours. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages. However, you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website at www.banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. 
For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.